Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is... Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, my engineer, Jill Montgomery, sounds so perky today. I wish I were perky. I wish some of that youth would rub off on me. I have a pile of notes for today, this week. Let's see my notes. The epigraph on the top uh, says here, Keep your shirt on, Kate. Yes, isn't the Duchess of Cambridge uh, almost 30 now, a future Queen of England? I think she should uh, be able to keep her shirt on, at least outside, you know. Uh, or if she doesn't, then it's up to her. It's up to the Duchess to declare toplessness politically correct. It's time, it's time. Well, at least in the Western world, we can't, mustn't get ahead of ourselves personally. Uh, I am just grateful for any silly distraction these days. Anything to get my mind off the Republican horrors. Uh, I thank the goddess Mitt Romney has put his foot in his mouth again. Yes, Mitt happens. That's another, another epigraph for this week. Mitt happens. He thought he was off Mike, and he got he got caught saying that he disdains Democrats, you know. It's 40% of the people uh, just think of themselves as victims. Yes, Obama, like Obama. They want to live off the dole, something I, I paraphrase. Uh, no election talk. Absolutely. I can't bear it. I've to figure out how to what is the word um, stuff my ears how to how to avoid listening or thinking about these things uh, they're a waste of time anyway I I got a kick out of Kate Middleton airing her royal breasts in the south of France yes that's the sort of thing we should pay attention to you know the weighty materials uh, the weighty things in life uh, some clever photographer using a telescopic lens has managed to get her photos uh, on the front page. I think it's the Italian paper. They have not got the name yet of the photographer. But uh, anyway, um, the uh, the couple, William and Kate, have managed to get some kind of, well, I don't know, an injunction, something to stop uh, the use of these uh, photographs, the pictures of her nude breasts. I would think an A cup 
probably. She's certainly too slim to be sensual. Of course, that's always a matter of taste. Uh, yes, the um, slim, uh, slim, youthful uh, types are very appealing to some folks. She's certainly athletic, and uh, it is beyond the imagining to believe that she has done anything to uh, augment uh, augment them surgically. No, absolutely out of the question. Given her youth and health, she cannot really pretend to be embarrassed. She's not yet a mom, so she's certainly a vision of either Athena or Aphrodite or one of those gauzy, trippy young goddesses. Uh, anyway, it's just no biggie anymore to glimpse uh, human flesh. And actually, uh, I find it offensive just to make a fuss, as Lenny Bruce once said. Uh, how can a woman's breasts be obscene? Where but in a pornographic death culture can you look at the sources of life and find them obscene? Uh, I think the moment has come to just let all that go. Uh, you know, if the royal family and, and William and Kate, if they would just shrug and go on about their business, go on being celebrity tourist attractions, you know, it might just happen that all this nonsense would stop. Oh, I'm afraid I'm suspicious. When the Queen, Elizabeth II, when she was young, she would never have risked going about in that casual way. Certainly she wouldn't have gone so far as to undress out of doors, not even to sunbathe. I don't think, I don't think. Um, Elizabeth knew what journalists are capable of. She once said that the press, the uh, reporters hung around uh, on her wedding night. What would that have been? The 1940s, right? They hung around on her wedding night and subsequently reported uh, the next day. They reported the exact hour and minute that the lights went out. <laughs> I guess that's why the royals uh, leave home to honeymoon. Now, anyway... If Catherine Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge and wife of William, heir to the British throne, yes, he's the Duke of Cambridge, right? Um, his father is the Prince of Wales. Anyway, uh, if, if these folks, um, what is it? If they want to make a, uh, what is it? An impact in the world, I don't see any reason why they can't just brush all this off. Uh, now, after the death of Elizabeth II and of Charles, uh, who is not a young man anymore, uh, Catherine will be the queen. I'm sure she doesn't want to uh, have this sort of stuff in her scrapbook. Uh, if she really wants to be a modern woman, she's just got to keep her shirt on unless she's willing to join the other public figures, though that's the wrong word, not figures. Uh, she just got to let it all hang out. 
Today's world is honeycombed with cameras we can't keep secrets. If you seriously wish to stay out of the tabloids, then you got to cover up. <laughs> yes, wait till the door is closed, given the tenacity of today's photojournalists. It might even be necessary to get under the covers. <laughs> the queen, yes. The queen is the one to look to. Eighty years she's managed to stay, uh, what's the word, uh, out of the scandal sheets. So it can be done, I remember. The queen's sister, Margaret, she was a bit of a playgirl. Uh, although I don't, I don't seem to remember nude photos. Uh, the uh, younger set, particularly, uh, what was her name, Fergie, has been in some serious trouble, but uh, our age, oh, God, what a headache it is, uh, the age of playboy, hustler, you know. Um, the, what is that, uh, the films, I think um, we've reached a stage where pornography uh, just soaks the the culture so many young women are just being programmed to get caught. They do it, shall we say, deliberately. I, they say it's unconscious, but I know some adolescent girls who like to put their gifts out there on the net. Uh, whether that's just for fun or to upset their parents, who knows. But uh, certainly there are entrepreneurs among them. Uh, Young women selling their, their charms. Uh, it's like the fashion industry these days. Pornography, uh, just, what is the word? Soaks our psyches to the point where I can open Vanity Fair and see what I think someone called heroin chic. Uh, mm, I guess, what is that? It's, it's about degradation. The, what is it, the sick, the sick and neurotic look. Uh, certainly Kate is not, not like that. She's a healthy child. Uh, but uh, even the most sheltered adolescent today, even our children, are conditioned to this stuff. Uh, so, as I say, better to just uh, shrug and get on with it. I think some folks think it's all... Okay, I'm always of two minds. Yes, we must keep these opposing ideas in the mind and continue to function because the downside is always exploitation, that money thing. You know, uh, if children are soaked with these images of men and women who are trying to sell themselves, put themselves out on the market then we are sure to sacrifice some of our soul plasma in the process. Uh, now, lately, I look at it and I kind of think it's just narcissism. <laughs> I'm reading a book on something called Gaga Feminism. It's about Lady Gaga. Uh, maybe it is just an effort to, um, what's the word, uh, learn to love ourselves. Uh, narcissism has been with us since we invented the, the mirror. Never mind. Enough. Cease, as we said in the fifties. Trivia, trivia, even trivia is no escape anymore. 
I grabbed my New Yorker this morning, and I wanted to tell you about an article about Salman Rushdie. He's been on the radio the last day or so. Uh, the New Yorker of 17 September uh, has an article called The Disappeared. Personal history, how the fatwa changed a writer's life by Salman Rushdie. It's basically, um, uh, what is it, an introduction to his memoir. It's going to be published soon, or I think, I'm not sure it's in the stores yet, but it's about the more than a decade he spent, um, uh, what is that, uh, not altogether in hiding, but... Um, trying to keep out of the way um, of the death threats. Uh, There's an absolutely dreadful picture, the the usual Avedon picture of Salman Rushdie, looking, yes, quite satanic in quotes. (laughs) I guess it's funny. I, I listened to him on, I think, NPR last night, and I thought, oh, yes, yes, he talked about putting together his memoir, and I thought, yes, write as if you're already dead. What choice do you have? Uh, the last line in this article is, yes, I must go on living till I die. He quoted a Conrad novel. Uh, now, yes, he said his journals uh, were what he used to write the memoir, the day-to-day existence uh, he put into this book, uh, all about how he felt uh, He talked in the interview about how freedom is when we are free to tell our own story. Who has the power over our story? Talks about Pakistan being now Islamic. Uh, It's shift from the secular. Once secular Pakistan was... His basic presumption, he said, but the extremists seem to have brought about uh, a fundamental change in the population as a whole. Writes a bit about the 1940s. You remember the split between India and Pakistan occurred at the end of the British Raj when the British left and uh, India became a Hindu nation and Pakistan became a Muslim nation. And he goes on a bit about, well, Kashmir is the disputed region. Kashmir says, would you please both go away? But the world, the world is not sane these days. And uh, both India and Pakistan are doing land grabs in Kashmir, uh, Looks like that's the place where we're carrying on the battle for men's minds. My favorite phrase these days, yes. The battle for men's minds is often fought on the field of women's bodies. We know that everywhere. Uh, Anyway, uh, Salman Rushdie Rushdie is being asked about the hit in Libya. You know, the tragic death of Christopher Stevens and four Americans... uh, all that brouhaha about a uh, uh, stupid, silly video. Um, it's kind of kind of pathetic to put that in the same category. Salman Rushdie actually did write a, a um, I guess, I don't know whether it's a great book, but a, a serious novel, The Satanic Verses. Uh, anyway, uh, 
what is it he said yes he says nobody nobody has the right not to be offended i will repeat that because it's a toughie uh nobody has the right not to be offended i've noticed that in our politically correct world people say to me you know that i'm not allowed to say or do this or that because it offends them Oh, Rushdie explains how it is that his book was used to spark the fundamentalists, most of whom had never heard of him, let alone read his books. I always think of these events, these books, cartoons, videos, as little moral black matches, you know, they just set the fires. Uh, we all know the bit, even the intellectuals, or the, the people who can read anyway, the bigots, they say, I wouldn't dream of reading such drivel. <laughs> yes, in India, apparently, there was no um, official authority to ban the book. It was just banned, burned, that kind of thing. But there isn't any court to um, to follow through on these things. Fact-free fascism seems to be all about uh, human nature, about our psychology. Uh, I don't know, yes, it's, it's that quality. It predisposes some people to shoot first and aim later. Right, that's what it is. Uh, I think of the psychological set of these bigots or xenophobes. Uh, it's a mindset. It develops very early in life. Uh, they're called absolutists. I think most of us know now that it is shaped by fear. You know, the extreme pathology they call paranoia, persecution complex. That's a label, I guess, but uh, it's all this notion or feeling that someone or some group is a threat to us. Uh, the homophobe feels threatened by the behavior of others, by those who practice same-sex love. I, I guess, well, the assumption is that it's their own repressed desire, uh, their own dreams, uh, their fear. Uh, you know, that the quality they see in others may exist in themselves with, well, you know, the Jungian shadow and all that stuff. Uh, I think that the old brain is operating here, otherism, uh, such a mystery, all this stuff, evolution. Uh, the other might once have been a great danger to us. I think of, yes, the tribe across the river, the people who look different, ancient uh, rivalries, people with funny noses. I think, I always think of Godfrey Cambridge as a terrific black comedian. He said he asked his mother why he had all this kinky uh, hair, why his hair was so, uh, so curly. And she said, well, that was so that it wouldn't get caught in the trees in the forest where he lived. And he said, well, yeah. So what am I doing in Chicago? Uh, the brain is always busy, busy, busy looking out for differences, for ways to be separate. We're always up uh, trying to condition children to have our prejudices. Uh, <laughs> I remember my children's father in an angry moment uh, when we were uh, 
uh, had long gone our separate ways. He said, oh, you're indoctrinating them every moment. I said, God, I wonder. I hope I hope they buy some of it. They never did, actually. Uh, I was trying to indoctrinate them to do their own thing. I'm afraid they went and did it. Anyway, you know that song. You have to be carefully taught. Yes, that's the way the song goes. You have to be carefully taught to hate and fear. Hate all the people your relatives hate before you are six or seven or eight. You have to be carefully taught. Uh, children, you know, they soak this stuff up just by watching their elders. Kind of an osmosis. Uh, they absorb the fears and prejudices of their elders. It's a subtle business of... Uh, I don't know. I still think there's a gene for it. Yes, I I look at Republicans and I think they must have been born that way. Uh, it's a Republican gene, a an absolutist gene. The, the sort of people, think about it, uh, the people that, you know, you meet them as children and then you meet them 50 years later and they have the same basic uh, thought process. Whereas those who have the uh, expanding uh, mental process, you know, they can live a dozen lives. Very often they're actors. <laughs> anyway, artists, you know, they can see with both eyes. They have depth vision and they change and change. What was it someone said the other day? It's that a liberal is somebody who takes the opposite side in an argument. Just, you know, just to be uh, gracious there does seem to be a new generation of kids who are growing up without these deep-seated dreads of some of the past generations. Uh, I meet more and more young people uh, who really have transcended some of the rigidity of the past. Gender prejudice is still profoundly evident worldwide. Uh, I think that's the last great revolution. Uh, may even be increasing. They say that the number of women on the planet is actually shrinking. There are less women uh, living than men. Most people think it's the other way around, but it's not. Women are endangered. Uh-huh. The cracks in the old ways in patriarchy are certainly, certainly meaningful to me. Uh, they're here and there and everywhere. I wouldn't want to go back to the world I grew up in, but um, curiously, the most macho societies are some of the ones we see greatest changes. You know, the, the people, people in cultures where they've managed to have Heads of state, female heads of state, isn't it odd? Uh, Latin America, the Far East, that kind of thing. Believe it or not, places like Iran have made radical changes in the gender roles. And certainly not the kind of feminist party line that we have here in the West. Not that sort of thing at all. Uh, I don't know. I keep thinking of the way we did it in the West. Say we went back to the UK, World War One, the Pankhursts, those kind of folks. Uh, 
was definitely feminist fist in the air. It was uh, kind of like, uh, what is that, the old-fashioned revolution. Uh, I think of the slave systems of the 19th century. We had the chattel slaves. Then it was a matter of life and death. You know, the slave master had the right to kill women. Uh, think of the honor killings today. Uh, bride burnings, that kind of thing. Uh, then there was the, the distinction between, say, the house slave and the field slave, as we see the difference between a wife and a concubine. Um, Wife or a whore, you know, uh, buy or rent. The question, of course, is always what will happen to the children, whether they will be legitimate, whether they will get their inheritance. Uh, sibling rivalry. Yes, imagine all the uh, patriarchs now who still have 100 kids, uh, children, and only one farm to give away, so, yes, they're back struggling, struggling. I love to see what happens when people argue about whether they should have rights, uh, laws, or whether they should have influence, you know. Uh, I think DNA is going to change some of this. Uh, if the DNA matches, I suppose now... Male parents will be legally responsible for their children. Uh, can't get off the hook in China. The marriage laws are very strict. Uh, for some women, DNA might be a disadvantage if they are not interested in having the father as part of their scene. Uh, parental rights. Fascinating. Of course... Uh, if you want your rights, you must take your responsibilities, both and, either or. I guess it's about justice, then, surely. Surely we should allow male parents a share in their children. But also, we need to know that they will support, uh, maintain their children in the lifestyle to which they, the fathers, have become accustomed, right? Economic rights, right? The judges, if the judges are female, surely they will insist that fathers give their children uh, whatever it is they themselves uh, are able to accumulate. Uh, I think there is something about that in the law. You're supposed to give the children the advantages of your class, your level in society. I... <laughs> I will spare you all my personal stories. I was going to tell some of those, but I'm going to skip right over those and look at this article on Salman Rushdie because I think that's the most interesting thing I have with me today. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, here it is. It's called The Disappeared. Oh, I'm out of time, of course, while I was just rambling here. Focus, focus. We must all focus. A uh, linear thought, the thought that leads to death. Anyway, Rusty says, first interview, he says, I wish I'd written a more critical book. <laughs> okay. 1989, here's the fatwa. What a kick. I inform, this is uh, uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini in 1989, his fatwa 
I quote, I inform the proud Muslim people of the world that the author of the Satanic Verses book, which is against Islam, the Prophet, and the Koran, and all those involved in its publication who were aware of its content, are sentenced to death. I ask all the Muslims to execute them wherever they find them. Later on, he consigned Salman Rushdie to hell. And, oh dear, I really did need time to read you the bits about uh, Salman Rushdie's defense of the ethos of the Koran, of the value system it endorses, of the matriarchal, more caring society that does not leave orphans out in the cold. Orphans like Mohammed, whose success as a merchant should have earned him a place in the city's ruling body. Okay, there you go. Once again, they've got it all wrong. Maybe we'll have more time for the origins of Islam at a later date. This has been Jennifer Stone. Be back on the air next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This is Sasha Lilly from Against the Grain. I'll be speaking at a public event with award-winning Marxist science fiction writer Kim Stanley Robinson about the politics of science and the science of fiction. Robinson is the New York Times best-selling author of dozens of novels, including the acclaimed Mars Trilogy. The event takes place in San Francisco on Wednesday, September 26th at 7 p.m. at CIIS 1453 Mission Street. It's wheelchair accessible and all proceeds benefit CIIS. This is part of the Dialogues and Interrogation series, co-sponsored by KPFA.